Well, good morning. Uh, that video is just a little uh, little shout out to a guest speaker that we're going to have on November 9th, Jamie George, who uh, he wrote that book called Love Well. And I've read that book, and I loved it. It's probably one of my favorite books that I've read this year. It is an absolute, straight-to-the-heart, honest dialogue about the messiness of relationships and the messiness of our faith. Um, he was in that video, actually. He was the one that said, I was stuck in a religious culture with no freedom. That was, that, that was actually Jamie. Uh, and I've gotten to know him just from some encounters uh, with, with their church. He pastors the church where all sons and daughters are from, which is we do a lot of their music. Uh, when they came out here and did that night of worship, he was the one that was speaking in, the, in, the, uh, in between there. And so just a dynamic speaker. And it's just one of those guys that Harper and I both, we just felt a connection to. We just felt like this is a guy that I feel like gets it in terms of like being honest about faith and honest about life. And, and so I'm really over the moon excited about November 9th, so make sure you don't uh, miss that. Well, we've been in this series called The Authentic Soul, and we've been looking at these spiritual disciplines of reading and of praying and of obedience last week. And so this week, we are talking about gathering. What is it about the gathering when we gather? Now, I know that there's a lot of different places that we gather as believers. There may be small groups and other serving projects and all that kind of stuff. But for today, for our purposes, I'm talking about this. This weird thing that happens every Sunday morning where there's about 1,100 people that decide to give up 75 to 80 minutes of their time to be together. Why? And why is this so important that it is on equal weight to be included in this series as reading your Bible, as praying together, and even obedience, that we're going to talk about gathering in that same vein. So that's why we're here, and that's what we're going to talk about. To kind of set that up a little bit, uh, I had this interesting experience on Friday. Um, my kids go to Providence Academy, which is an awesome school, and Harper had a meeting um, with some, some other women to help plan the women's retreat, and, and Christy Emery was going to be meeting with her, and so she asked, do you think Bobby would be okay taking the kids to school? And so Alan and Christy's kids, uh, Eden and Travers, they also go to Providence Academy. So I said, sure, why not? So dropped the kids off at our house at 6.55 in the morning, and I'm trying to feed my kids and their kids and get all of them into our van. Uh, to get to school by 7.55 a.m. That's when the late bell rings for, for their school. They start a little earlier. So anyway, th that in and of itself was quite the experience. You know, solo dad with five children, seven and under, in a car. That was fun. The hardest part, the hardest part was the seats. I, I was like, I was doing okay on time. I was, getting, I was getting them ready. We were getting out the door. But uh, four out of the five are in booster seats. And booster seats cover the the seatbelt latch thing, especially when you have to put them right next to each other. And so I spent more time just trying to like pry them apart and get the seatbelt in there and, and buckle kids in than I did anything else that morning. We got out the garage, we were heading to school and Joel says, hey dad, why don't you put the VBS CD on? I'm like, okay, sure, why not? We've sung, it's still in our CD player in our car from June and we sing those songs a lot. My kids know them a lot and I was like, sure, why not? We put them in there. And apparently, Alan and Christy's kids, uh, they must listen to that CD a lot too. Because everybody knew the songs. Everybody was 
very, within about 10 seconds, the whole van was just loud, loud, loud with five children, seven and under, even Zach, who's only two, was, you know, singing the, the best he can, singing these, these VBS songs, and something happened. Something made it incredibly different because all of a sudden, I find myself singing and I find myself being drawn to tears. Why is that? There is nothing new about those songs. Good Lord, we've been singing those things, you know, for the past six months. I mean, there's nothing, there was, it wasn't anything new or profound in, in what we had experienced or what I learned from the song or anything. And yet there was something that happened when we were all together that multiplied the voices and multiplied the impact of that experience that made me, that just drew me in and it became this, this incredible thing. What is that? Why does that happen? Well, I hope that we can spend some time kind of unpacking that and, and looking at why this is important because the unfortunate reality in American culture is that people aren't going to church. 40% of Americans say that they go to church weekly. 17% actually do. That means more than 80% are finding more fulfilling things to do on a weekend than go to church. That's a troubling statistic. Now, is it, is it really the music? Is it really the teacher? Is it really the, the building or the environment or the programs that we offer? Is it really the kids' ministry? Is that, is that really just the things that are making this number true? I don't think so. I have to believe that there's something else going on. Something else going on in the heart of people. Something else going on in, in our hearts. And so, what I want to do right now... Uh, I want you to take one sentence and one sentence only. I don't want you to spend a lot of time thinking about this. I want you to just the first thing that comes to your mind. And I don't want you to get all super theological or spiritual on me. I want you to turn to the person next to you and in one sentence, I want you to answer this question. Why did you come to church today? Ready, go. made you? <laughs> you made me. Well, hey, it's honest. <laughs> All right, that's, a, that's too much. That's more than one sentence. I, I didn't say get into a philosophical conversation as to why you should come. I said one sentence as to why you came today. Okay, so you've shared that. Tuck that away in the back of your mind. I'm not going to start calling out people and say, like, what did your neighbor say? <laughs> I want you just to kind of like, you know, just, just to have, just put that in the back of your mind. We'll, we'll, we'll come back to this in, in a little bit. Because I bet that many of you are like me, and that the first thought, again, not once you try to get all super Christian, the first thought that came to your mind probably had something to do with 
something that you either wanted or needed to get out of your time here. Is that wrong? Is that bad to, to have that thought? Uh, I, I don't exactly know, but I know that's where my mind goes right away. Some, some might be here to try to prove something, maybe to try to prove faith wrong, try to try to prove this thing is bunk. Or some of you may be here to try to prove it right. But that still falls into the category of wanting to get something because you're trying to get answers. And there's probably even a very, very small minority of you that answered with something along the lines of wanting to give up something of yourself for the sake of the assembly. <laughs> Which I, yeah, kind of just say, yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, really, if that's really the first thing that came to your mind, then maybe that's true, but I, I kind of don't believe it. So what do we do with that? Uh, we believe in the authority of Scripture here, so it makes sense for us to dive into what the Bible says about why we should gather. Um, and when I did some search on this, there's a lot. There's a lot of Scriptures that we can use to try and uh, give us some foundation. So I'm just going to camp on one. We're just going to talk about one passage today. So if you have a Bible, either on your phone or on your iPad or um, you know, physical Bible, whatever, or if you need one, feel free to get up out of your chair and just go grab one. You don't have to wait for somebody to come bring one to you. Um, there's, not, there's not a rule that says once the message starts, you, you're not allowed to leave your seat. Um, so just go grab a Bible, and we're going to look at Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. This is what it says. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who has promised is faithful. And here's the verse that Many of you have probably heard before. I've told you some of my backdrop, uh, faith backdrop is from a very kind of conservative church that most scripture references were taught in a way that, that evoked shame, that I was doing something wrong and that I need to be better. And this was one of those. So let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Simple, right? Practical. Straightforward. Just do it. Don't give up meeting together. Some have. Don't do that. Easy, right? I don't know. I don't know if it's just that easy. Let's, let's look at what we might be able to learn together from this passage. First of all, right away, he starts, the writer of, of Hebrews here, he starts to set the tone for this conversation of what our motive should be when we get together in any environment. He says that by his blood, that is where our confidence comes from. That is where our courage comes from. Right there, it sets the tone. So he, Christ, died so that we may have a way to commune with the Father. He shed his blood so that we may be able to enter the presence of God with confidence. So right then and there, our motive 
is not by what more can I receive, but rather it is a confident response to what I already have received in the blood of Christ. So right there, he's already kind of setting the tone and giving us this framework to say, this is our foundation. This is what we're stepping, this is what we're launching from, the blood of Christ. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time here uh, looking at this a little bit, looking at our motives. And more specifically, we're going to look at lettuce. There are three main lettuces that we are going to uh, look at right here. First, let us. Let us draw near. And, uh, see what I did there? There's to let. It's probably on which to let, yeah. I needed you to have something that you can remember. You're going to associate this. You laugh now. You won't forget it. You're going to talk about going home in the car talking about lettuce. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart with full assurance of what faith brings. That's what the passage says. So does this imply that we're supposed to like, prove our sincerity or that we're supposed to, to rise up to some sort of level of faith accomplishment so that we can then verify and prove, yes, now I am sincere. How do we do that? Well, I don't think that it has much to do with that kind of assessment of this, but it has everything to do with the object of our faith, not the amount of our faith. So hang with me. My faith may be misplaced. My faith may be placed onto another human and therefore be disappointed. My faith, the amount of my faith, will vary over the course of my entire life. I'm going to have seasons where my faith seems high, and I'm going to have seasons where my faith seems low. But what the writer, what the author is trying to make painfully clear is that we are talking about the object of our faith, which is Jesus. Jesus, the one true God, the Son of God, who is sacrificially given so that the penalty of sin would be fully paid on our behalf, proved himself victorious over death by resurrecting himself and promising us that same resurrection in him to be with the Father in glory forever. How much faith you have in that statement is going to fluctuate. But the object of that being the central thing that we continue to point our faith towards, if we remain consistent in that, that is the foundation for our sincerity, stepping forward, because it's focused. It's, it's not on a man. It's not on a building. It's not on some of these other things. So but the object of your faith can be consistent. And this is why he says, let us, plural, draw near in faith to the object of our faith. Let us, number two, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. So you can see that this is starting to, you can see the progression of where this is going. He makes it very clear where our foundation is coming from, that this has been passed on to us from generations past, that 
you know, the, the founders of our faith have passed on the truth of who it is that we are worshiping and who he is serving and why we need to gather to be reminded of that. And then he also says that we need to be holding on to the hope that we have. Hope speaks to the future. Hope speaks to what is yet to come. We're shifting gears. We have hope. We have hope for a future. We have a hope that is real. We have hope in Christ that is secure, that is promised, that is unshakable, that is undeniable, that is irrefutable and more reliable than a Toyota. Think about it. I own a Toyota. What do we say about Toyotas? Oh man, those things will run forever. We actually have placed eternal hope in a car that will lose 40% of its value the second it gets driven off the lot. As soon as you hit the gas pedal, 40% of that car has lost its value. And for those of you that may struggle with math, that's a bad equation. <laughs> if you're putting your hope in something that within a blink of an eye loses 40%, and yet, hey, my Toyota's got 195,000 miles on it. It's close to forever. <laughs> but the truth is, it is a decaying, eroding entity that will not sustain eternity. And so we have hope that actually increases in value as opposed to decreases in value. The harder life gets, the bigger the hardship and the trial that you face, because you will face it, the more value and worth and grandness of that hope starts to grow. It is in the face of those hardships that we can find uh, this, this confidence that the writer is talking about, this security, this hope, is in the face of those hardships that we can confidently say, because of the blood of Christ, we are more than conquerors. We are victorious. We are heirs to the king. We are will not be broken. When we face hardship, our hope grows. And especially when we gather like this to remind one another of that, that there's hope. There's hope. There's hope that is bigger than you know. There's a hymn by an unknown author that speaks of this longing to be with the Father, and yet also ties it with a present reality. It says, so near, so very near to God, we cannot nearer be. For in this person of his Son, we are as near as he. So dear, so very dear to God, we cannot dearer be. For in this person of his Son, we are as dear as he. So true. And there's a third lettuce. Let us spur one another on. More specifically, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So here is where the rubber meets the road. We talked about the 
where our confidence come from, comes from that has been passed on to us by our founding fathers of our faith, the hope in Christ that we have by his blood, and also the future hope that we have in him that he has promised us in eternal existence with him forever in glory. And yet here we are in this collision of what our foundation is and what our hope is. This is the here and now. This is real life. This is where real life, real struggles, real relationships, no longer is it talking about what ifs and theoretical or hypothetical situations. This is where it says, this is happening now. Life is happening now. We may be, well, we still experience the pain of sin, even though we are not bound by it. So that is why we need to be reminded of all of these things, all of this hope that we have. This is where our redemption comes into 4D. Because the truth is, I, am, I have been redeemed, I am being redeemed, and I will be redeemed. All three are true of you. We have been redeemed. We are being redeemed. We will be redeemed. I don't know how that works, but all three are true. Right here, right now. And what really makes me sad and angry is that I have seen other believers in this faith, whether they be pastors or radio stations or organizations, that spend time, money, effort, and resources tearing down other Christians. That is sad and hurtful, and it makes me angry. I hope that I just get put on the bad list now. I hope that our church gets put on the bad list now, because we don't get it all right. I am sure that there are things that we have said from this stage that can be theologically challenged and may not be all right. There are probably things that we have asked you to do that may not have been the most beneficial or helpful things for you in taking a step of faith. But it's part of the confession to say we are broken, we are in need of redemption, we are clinging to this hope that we have been redeemed. So yes, we are broken, we are not going to get it all right. That is why our faith is not in a person, it is not in a place, it is not in a program, it is not in a song, it is not an event. Our hope is in Christ. I wish that I could say exactly I knew what was going on when the writer says that don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But I do know this, that back in that day, just like today, the church was dealing with humans. And humans are picky and finicky and weird. Right? We've got, all of us have our own little things, and so I'm sure that there were some unmet expectations and some disappointments with one another, and most likely some that found some, some comfort and solace and fellowship with some gatherings that were outside the shared object of our faith. And so what do we do with that? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. 
Uh, but I believe that the more that we do this, we can learn from one another. We can sharpen one another. So let's spend our time looking at our motives. Do you attend here out of duty or obligation? Now, I want you to kind of pull back into the forefront of your mind the, the response that either you gave or that your neighbor gave when you were talking about, why did you show up to church today? Now, uh, before you think I'm going to jump all over this and say that it's not out of duty or obligation, uh, I need to make the confession that these are, I'm calling them this, motivational paradoxes. Because if it's just duty or obligation, the reality is God doesn't need your service. God doesn't need your money, your attendance, your effort, your songs, your memorized scripture, your sacrifice, or even your obedience. He needs you to need him. However, paradox, we have been called to gather. We have been instructed as those that are following Christ to get together. You and I, we have a role to play in the body of Christ. We have a job to do. We have a duty and an obligation in the body of Christ. There's a... Uh, Translation called the voice that is similar to the message, which just kind of creates some language that is very applicable to today. And this is just a little pop-out that uh, um, one of the, the authors contributed. It says, the word church in English Bibles means literally assembly of the called. It implies that members have said yes to God's call in their lives, not showing up to see if they will say yes. A lot of times we show up measuring whether or not we can buy in or not. We assemble because we are called into being by God himself. Some people, for reasons only they know, choose to live their Christian faiths in isolation. When they do, they cut themselves off from the gifts, encouragement, and vitality of others. And perhaps just as tragically, they deprive the church of the grace and life God invests in them. So you can't have it be your only uh, uh, motive, just out of duty or obligation and getting the job done, going to do God a solid and show up. But at the same time, though, it's a response to a calling. That's a response to the fact that we said yes to Christ. Now, we live in a very technological age very informational, technological age. I'm reading my notes off of an iPad. Uh, you know, iPhones are off the charts in terms of the number of phones out there in the world. And so we are so detailed and scheduled and informed more than any other generation in the history of mankind. And yet, now here's my little, my little dig of shame for the morning. Uh, if you have a phone, I want you to take it out. If you have a smartphone, some, anything that can like, that has a calendar on it. And, hey, turn it on, all right. Here we go. <laughs> that was very appropriately timed. <laughs> and I want you to look at your calendar app, whatever it might be, and see if church is scheduled in your calendar. 
If it's not, here's what I want you to do. Whether you're on Android or iOS, I want you to hit the little add new button and call it church. Repeat weekly. You guys are at the 10 o'clock service, so just make it for, uh, you know, 9.30. Give yourself some driving time. Give yourself a 30-minute alert so that there's the reminder 30 minutes prior. Repeat weekly and never. Now, and I'm, I really do want you to do that. I will check your iPhone on the way out. <laughs> because here's the reality. Here's the psychology of it. I'm willing to schedule a staff meeting. I'm willing to schedule a coffee with somebody. I'm willing to schedule my kids, you know, soccer game or whatever. And yet, church, oh, that should just be organic. We should just, you know, we'll, we'll feel it. Let's be intentional about it. Say, no, this is part of life. This is part of my uh, calling. This is part of my duty and my obligation. And let's put it in our calendar because the reality is, the psychology is, you're more likely to do it if it's in here. And you're more likely to show up. And again, like that quote says, because you don't want to cut yourself off from the gifts, encouragement, vitality of others. Because you contribute to that as well. You are giving of that as well. Okay, so the next motivational paradox is do you show up here? Is your motive to get your needs met? Now, no doubt, all of us receive quite a bit when we walk in this room. I, I hope. You know, we may feel encouraged, inspired, informed, challenged, motivated, convicted. We may even have physical needs, financial needs, medical needs that all get attended to even in the 80 minutes that we're together. But if that is the sole motivation, if that is the only thing that compels you, what happens when those needs aren't met? It plants a seed of disappointment. And it plants a seed that will begin to grow. Because then it starts to breed language that says things like, they don't have anything that can meet my needs. Or, they, I've, I've, I've asked to have some of these needs met, but they just, they just won't. And so very quickly, that seed of disappointment turns into victimhood. Now you are somehow the victim because I've, I've tried. I tried to get connected and I just can't. They, don't, they just don't have anything that, that will meet my needs. They don't have anything for, for my specific situation and so I'm, I'm just going to I'm just gonna have to go find that someplace else. You know, the outside church, the outside world, they look at the church and they say, man, it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And can we, just, can we just talk about that for a second? And can I just say, yep. And I'm at the front of the line. If the definition of hypocrisy is that the words that I say and the actions that I do don't line up with the things that I'm saying I believe in, yep. 
I don't get it right. I don't get it right all the time. I'm not consistent with it. That doesn't mean that I'm entitled to that kind of hypocrisy and that it's okay and should be normalized. But the truth is, yes, yes, I'm a hypocrite and so are you. And for those that are saying, man, the church is full of hypocrites, I say, you are right and there's room for one more. (laughs) We will disappoint one another if we put our faith in a person. If If all of you are putting your faith in Troy... He will disappoint you. (laughs) If all of us are putting our faith in, you know, in me or somebody leading worship or whatever, it will be very disappointing. And you will have plenty of ammunition to say how wrong it is and how, how, you know, badly they do things and if they only really did things this way or whatever. There's plenty of that. But the reality is, That should not be our motivation to just get our needs met. The flip side, though, is that it's not bad to receive something from our gathering. Bill Hybels has a book called Simplify. Highly recommend it. Very good. He has this chapter, and he talks about stuff rubbing off. So stuff rubs off. So some of you may be saying, man, I really want to deepen my relationship with Christ and learn more. I don't feel like I know a whole lot about it. Or, man, I really want to, to find some deeper places in my, in my marriage. I, I really want to, to have my family be pointed towards Christ. And, or I really want my kids to know what it means to have faith in Jesus. Well, in the stuff rubs off kind of thought, Hang around people that are pursuing Christ. Hang around people that are trying to find reconciliation in their marriages. Hang around people that are struggling in the same way to try to point their families towards Christ. Hang around people that are committed to showing their kids what does it mean to follow Christ. Be around those people. Have that stuff rub off because the flip side is true. If you're not around that, that stuff will rub off too. You're not going to find the, the answer to those desires at Anduzi's. I like Anduzi's. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's not, I'm not saying Anduzi's is bad. I'm not going to Anduzi's to try to you know, grow my spiritual life or to teach me how to love my wife better. I'm going there to watch the game and have a beer. That's, and they do that very well. Stuff rubs off. So put yourself in the position and in places where people are moving in similar directions so that their stuff rubs off on you and your stuff may rub off on them, which creates momentum in moving towards these things. Because the last thing that I would ever want for any of us, myself included, is to be stuck. I want to be moving. I want to be taking steps. And so I need gatherings like this to be around. And so it's not all wrong to receive. And the last motivational paradox is to religiously perform. Go through the motions. Do all the right things. Say all the right prayers. Make sure that your face is seen here to, so that we all know just how great of a person you are that you showed up. Make sure that your service is, is accented and, and highlighted. If that's your motivation, 
to just go through the motions, to have this religious facade of relationship with Christ, you will receive exactly that, a shallow and hollow experience. However, we need to be putting on display the evidence of our transformation. We need to be taking these steps of faith that are going to be witnessed by others. The difference is, I cannot validate my own heart transformation by myself. It'd be like as if Ron Burgundy from Anchorman became a Christian. Said, hey, everybody, come see how humble I am. I can't, I can't say, man, I, I, I am just so thankful and really impressed with my patience. And the only thing greater than that is my generosity. It sounds ridiculous, and yet, without saying those specific things, how many of us try to isolate our spiritual growth into like, well, I'm just going to make sure that I stay really committed to praying more and reading more, and I'm just going to close my doors, and I'll pray more, and I'll do that, and hopefully God will change my life, and I'll be on it. It needs to be fleshed out in community. It needs to be seen, because community is what is going to validate a transformed heart. Community is the one that's going to say, I have been blessed by his humble service. I am inspired by his or her generosity and kindness that is shown above and beyond what I thought was capable to show. And so we need to be putting on display what God is doing in our life. But that shouldn't be the only motive, is just to try to put things on display to get a pat on the back. We're putting on display our transformation so that the community can validate the fruits of the Spirit. Because I can't validate the fruits of the Spirit by myself. I need you to point that out in the same way I need you to point it out when I'm not. And so, I can tell you in all brutal honesty that my motives for showing up to this place, this church, this gathering, not a theory, my motives for showing up here have not always been very noble have not always been very pure, have not always been very holy or humble. My motivations have often taken the form of a victim. My motivations have often taken the form of just simply not wanting to be here. And the reality is, I'll probably feel that again. And so will you. I think it's a little absurd to think that we'll, we'll never have some false motives as to why we show up here. You know, in diving into this message even, even in my own preparation and creation of this, it was a huge 
reminder, and it helped me frame my own motivations for why I attend community church. And for all of us, I want to, hopefully this, this will be helpful. When somebody asks you, why do you attend church? Why do you attend community? I want you just to answer, to draw near. That's why. To draw near. To draw near in faith towards God, the object of our faith, to be reminded of, the, of what he has done, the courage and the confidence that we have by his blood. I want you to draw near in hope for ourselves, not hope in yourself, hope for yourselves. The hope that, that God offers is for our benefit. He doesn't need to be reminded of hope. We do. And so when we draw near together, we draw near in hope for ourselves. And lastly, to draw near in love for others. You know, that passage that talked about spurring one another on, spurring doesn't sound very pleasant. I don't know about you. And I, my, my wife is like a pro horseback rider. She knows all that stuff. And so, you know, because my impression of spurring is like what you see in the movies and you see some guy going, you know, just really kicking the horse and, and trying to get it to move. And, and, and Harper was telling me that actually the, the point of spurs is to be an extension of the rider. Because sometimes either the horse won't respond anymore to their heels, and so it's to be an extension of their legs to help communicate, to help guide. Because spurring, uh, although at times may be uncomfortable for us, spurring is actually loving. If love is removed from the equation of spurring, it's cruel. It's just cruelty. Because that's when we start to get into the judging game of, well, that pastor's off. He's not doing it right. When I read my Bible, I think that it says this, and I think he's wrong, and I'm going to make sure everybody knows. As opposed to having the boldness to listen, and the boldness to ask a question, help me understand. Because I see things differently, but if we can sit and talk, maybe we'll both benefit moving forward. That has love written into it because I want to be connected to you. I want to point to the object of our faith. If I'm just going to say that pastor is a heretic, that church is going to hell, well, that's just cruel. That's not what I want to be about. What I want to be about, last week when Beth Ann Delabella passed away from a heart attack suddenly on Saturday, and the love of her life, Art, showed up in this place, which is crazy to me. He showed up here the very next day, and his small group literally was carrying him in. He could barely compose himself. They had their arms around him and say, let's do this together. That was a picture of love that I want to be about. 
that inspires me to want to try to show that kind of love, to live that kind of love, to be that kind of love. I wouldn't have seen that if I had stayed at home and just tried to read about love. I was able to witness and affirm and be encouraged and spurred towards love and good deeds. That is why we need to draw near. So as you go to the crosses right now, I would encourage you to draw near. Draw near in faith. Draw near in the hope that's been promised to you. And draw near in love. Draw near to his presence. Allow others to speak into that and to be there with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time, these short minutes that we get together every week, Lord, and just the amazing things that you can somehow do in 75 minutes. God, thank you for meeting us here right now, for reminding us of what it is that you are doing in and through us in this gathering that we can be reminded of the hope that you offer, the promise of your uh, salvation. And so God, as we draw near to you right now, uh, press heavy on our hearts, your presence, your truth, and your reality. In Jesus' name, amen.